everyone, and welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and today I'm here with Sherry Oldfield, a certified nurse midwife, lactation consultant, and master life coach. We're here doling out no-nonsense pregnancy and parenting advice. Collectively, we've worked with thousands of families and have condensed all that we've learned to bring you simple, practical, and immediate advice for preventing parenting conundrums. Sherry has been a registered nurse since 1983, an OB nurse since 1987 with a master's degree at Texas A&M, a certified nurse midwife since 1992, a lactation consultant since 2010, and a master life coach since 2019, specializing in helping women define and get what they want. Today's topic is all about home birth. Is it safe? What are the risks and what are the benefits? Sherry has attended thousands of births in every setting, county hospital, private hospitals, birth centers, and homes. Because she has seen it all, I knew she would be an excellent person to discuss this important topic. So let's get started. Welcome, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Hey, welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm happy to do it. I was looking forward to it. Oh, well, I have to, one, introduce everyone to you because and tell the story of how we met. So as our listeners know, I have been working in the birth world for nine years now. And I want to say probably six or seven, maybe even longer, Sherry was working at one of our local hospitals as a certified nurse midwife. And one of my birth doula clients had her as her midwife. And I just fell in love with Sherry. She was so awesome and so cool. And I basically collected her as a friend. <laughs> and I haven't, I haven't let go of her since. And yeah, I've loved everything that you've done. And I feel like with this topic that we're talking about home birth, you're just the perfect person to chat with. Awesome. Yes. I remember pretty vividly our meeting because you were huge help. I could not have gotten through all that without your help. And, and I really appreciate anybody that joins a birth that is open to letting the client, the woman do what she wants to do. Cause that's really my focus and everything is I don't really have any stake in it other than to support her. Yeah. And I love that because I've been to a lot of births where every practitioner works very differently. And <laughs> yeah, I, I just felt like we vibed. And so Sherry, please, I'd love for you to also just introduce yourself to, to our listeners and talk to us about your experience and where you've attended births and all of that. Okay. First off, I guess the way that I evidence my commitment to birth, however somebody wants it, is my daughter has five children and all of them I have either caught at home or assisted her partner to catch. And so when I tell people that I believe home birth is safe, I tell that story for them to understand that I can walk the walk. I don't exclude myself from believing that it's safe too. I started as a nurse way back in 83, as an LVN, I graduated to be an RN, and right after that went to obstetric nursing and never left there. And somewhere in the early 90s, I decided that I, I really wanted to be a nurse midwife. I'd thought about it for a long period of time. I spoke to the midwives that were in Tulsa way back when it was just unheard of. 
And I really wanted to do it, but I didn't know a path to do it. And things kind of evolved to where it just worked out right after I finished my master's in nursing to go to midwifery school at Baylor College of Med there in Houston. And it was an eye-opener. I had a, a real transition to make because as an obstetric nurse, I really believed in all the high-risk stuff. Like I went to the conferences and thought, hey, yeah, cardiac monitoring of a pregnant woman in labor, that sounds like a great idea. And now that I look back at that, it's amazing to me the transition to where now I, I just hardly believe in monitoring at all. And I've worked in two or three big hospital practices I worked at Parkland for 12 years. I've worked in four or five private hospitals, too, Methodist in Indianapolis, Texas Children's. And that's one environment, right or wrong. It's one way to approach birth. And then there are birth centers. And I think, as everybody knows, there are a ton of those, and they continue to pop up. To me, and I've always believed this, a birth center is a great place to birth, but it has some particular idiosyncrasies that are in between home and hospital. Home birth is by far my favorite because the locus of control remains with the mom and the family. With that said, there are some things to maneuver around that too. But the question of safe is really interesting to me because it's like asking if taking a breath is safe. We would never think to ask those kind of bodily function questions. That's a normal process for a woman and her baby. And so what we should be asking is, is it safe everywhere else? Because home is the obvious place where it's safe. Oh, that is amazing. I love what you just said, because I don't think at least whenever, I think we've been programmed to think that, you know, hospital births are the, it's the safest place that you can be because if heaven forbid something happens, you can get that assistance immediately and, and be taken care of and, and all of that. So whenever people learn that I had a home birth with my son, they immediately ask, well, isn't that unsafe? So I wanted to hear your opinion. Like if someone walks up to you, you know, on the street and hears about home birth and asking, is it safe? How do you respond to that? I mean, I respond to that, to lay people, to medical people, to administration, to all those people the same way. Why would you question the safety of a normal bodily function? Why would you question that? Why would you question that? Why would you question breastfeeding? Those are normal things. We aren't the dinosaurs, so this always worked, and why shouldn't it now? The question really should be, why are women getting into bad situations in the hospital? What's going on there that makes some areas in this country less safe to have a baby in than a third world country? That's what we should be asking. Because I don't think the question of home birth, is it safe? Sometimes I just, I, it's hard for me not to look at people and go, that, that question is just so off the wall to me. Of course it's safe. A woman gets pregnant normally, naturally, even if she has assisted reproduction, it still is a normal pregnancy. The baby's growing inside and it has to come out. And the way that babies come out is mom labors and has a vaginal birth. Now, there are times when you have to intervene, but that should be the exception to the rule, not the way it is right now in a lot of facilities, at least the one where I currently do lactation, that normal Vaginal birth is the exception. And when I say normal, 
I don't mean unmedicated. I mean just baby comes out of vagina. Because, you know, normal and not normal are, are very subjective terms. And I, I almost don't even like using normal anymore because it's it says something to the listener that I don't mean to convey. I just mean a baby comes out normally. Just It just does. That's the way life is. It's like you take your next breath. You have a baby. You start your period when you're a certain age. Those are all just normal things that happen to us. So why do you think that people now are afraid of delivering outside of the hospital? Why do you, why do you think we're at that place? I think it started over ego and money and power. Women never thought that it was abnormal to call the midwife or their mom or their friend or whoever to come assist them with their birth. They never questioned that process. In fact, when it all came down to it, Women were afraid to go in the hospital because they knew that was the place where people in that time period went to die. So they didn't want to go there to have their babies, and rightly so. So they were paid money. I actually know a woman who was paid $50 to come into the local hospital and deliver her baby to prove to all the other women that it was safe. What was that about? Probably power, ego, for sure money. And the lesser part of it, which I think affects all of us on the provider side, is access. Because if we go to homes, we are less productive. It's hard to make a living doing home births because you have to go all over the place. You waste a lot of your time that you could be seeing people getting to them. But if you regionalize the place, if you put a facility that they come to, then they waste their time coming to you and you can see a lot more people. So it's hard to tease out whether it's money or power or territory, but they all enter into it. And that's happened for such a long time now that the insurance companies sanction hospital births, so they pay better. So if you're having a home birth or a birth center birth, you're going to have a tough time getting the insurance company to go ahead and pay to the equivalent that they will a hospital birth. Many women come in the hospital and pay a hundred bucks or something like that, and the hospital is covered the rest of the way because the insurance companies kind of sanction that. It's kind of almost a racket, in my opinion, a racket against the consumer because they're shoved into a certain path without really being given the choice unless they're willing to pay their own out-of-pocket funds. And so I think that over time, we begin to believe that that was the normal way and it's really capitalized that, oh, this is the safest because it I, that phrase, if something happens. Well, the funny thing about saying if something happens, the most freaked out that I see labor and deliveries in any hospital I've ever been in is when the woman presents and the head is on the perineum. I've never seen so much jumping around and just losing people's grip trying to start an IV when a woman's pushing the baby out, that's craziness. But they do it every time. And when it's all said and done and the nurses and the docs are sitting back thinking about, oh my gosh, she just came in and had her baby. How could she do such a thing? Like, y'all, you look crazy right now because you built a labor and delivery. You told the women that if they got pregnant, they could come here and have their baby. And when they do exactly as you told them, you act surprised. That doesn't make any sense at all. And so what I think is is interesting about that whole concept is 
if something happens, well, the hospital kind of has to say that because that's where that happens. If something happens is almost without fail got to do with things we did. We induced with either Cervidil, Cytotec, Pitocin, or a combination of all three. We kept meddling until her body said, okay, enough. I'm not doing this this way. Either it doesn't function or some other outcome. I I talked to a woman the other day that had a very nice first birth. And that's a first birth. So it wasn't long. It wasn't hard for her to accomplish. She came in with this baby to be induced because everyone thought she should be delivered by that time. And, you know, ended up with the common, she got side attack, the decelerations in the baby scared them, and she got an emergency C-section. And it's just, I hear that story so much that I think, wouldn't it be nice if we could say, if something happens and associate it with the things that we know happen when we intervene? Because normal pregnancy, labor, and birth, things don't if something happens. They progress. If you leave them alone, if you educate the woman about what she's feeling and why she would be feeling that, and you let her make the choices, it's very rare to see if something happens. Right. So I I definitely want to talk, you just said, when it's normal. And that's something that I like to make sure that whenever I'm working with someone, like if you are a healthy you have a normal pregnancy, things are progressing well, you have the option of seeing a midwife and you have options to, yeah, go outside the hospital. So let's understand like the risks, like what makes someone a good candidate for a home birth? So to me, a home birth, it's kind of funny at this point, because I think we've included women in candidates for home birth that we never did before, because they know that they can't get what they need in the institutionalized setting. So you're seeing a lot of VBAC moms choose to deliver outside the hospital. I wish it weren't that way, but I certainly understand why that's happening. So I get asked a lot about that. And that is how much each provider, how much risk they are able to tolerate. I think that the risk is not that much higher, but I still wish that in a that setting, we could have a place where it was safe for moms. And when I say safe, I mean accepted and encouraged for them to progress normally and have a vaginal birth because the risk of scheduling a C-section is higher than the risk of having a vaginal birth after a C-section. And we all know that whether we're willing to say it or not, we know it's true. So, I mean, normal candidates, first-time moms are perfectly normal candidates for an out-of-hospital birth. There are some maternal conditions that might indicate that you would want to be in a hospital, but they're not that many. So when you see women get shunted into perinatal docs and that kind of stuff and end up in this high-risk section, to me, again, it goes back to why did we move birth to the hospital anyway? And I, you know, you can draw your own conclusions about what we've already talked about. But if the mother is normal enough to get pregnant, she's normal enough to have a baby. So things that I think people risk out with is it's not uncommon to see someone say, oh, your baby's too big. You'll have to deliver it in the hospital. It's one of my pet peeves. We have not yet perfected the art of telling how big a baby is in utero, and we should just stop with all that because mothers deliver babies, and it you know it has very little relationship to size. 
in my mind. So when I see these articles that say, oh, the mother delivered a 15-pound baby and, oh, that's a world record and, oh, it was vaginal, it's like, well, of course, she grew the baby, so of course she was going to have it. Why wouldn't she? I'm thinking about risk things that really risk out for me. I know right now obesity, we're kind of obsessed with obesity and that gets thrown into this high risk setting. And the last practice I was in, anybody that hit a certain BMI had to go to a high risk perinatologist. That whole thing feeds into a whole nother topic of how we view obesity and what we think in this country is, you know, appropriate weight, height things. But by and large, I'm very suspicious of the research about obesity making a woman high risk. Again, we haven't always been obsessed with very thin women. There were lots of times through our history where being a larger BMI was very normal. We didn't question that. And again, I I think there are reasons outside of actual health reasons that cause some of these things to be viewed as high risk. But I mean, you tell me what what do you hear that's high risk that risk about? Because honestly, in my mind, I just consider birth to be such a normal bodily function that it's hard for me to find good reasons to send somebody to the hospital. Yeah. The things that I mean, a lot of women tend to go because that's just what they've been conditioned to do. And the fear of, well, if you get an infection or if you have a high blood pressure or, you know, your baby's not growing at the right rate, or obviously if you go past a certain date, I I believe a lot of midwives practice like once you hit 42 weeks gestation, that you know, you need to then go to the hospital for an induction. So those are the things that if someone has been considering a home birth that maybe a midwife has said, like, we need to look at talking to someone else or looking into this a little bit closer. Obviously, if something came up on like the anatomy scan or things like that. So I wasn't sure if there's anything that else that maybe us listeners don't know that would maybe risk us out for as being a good candidate for home birth and it being safe. I would say that you hit on one of the biggest reasons, and that's high blood pressure. And that, again, there's so many things to go into that because women are are having to live this lifestyle that we live in this country right now and very unsupported in their maternity care so that they're working up to the almost to the minute they go into labor. And our lifestyle has proven to be fairly difficult for women to negotiate and have their babies. So it's shameful to me that we've had what we've called as pregnancy-induced hypertension, preeclampsia. We've called it a lot of different names, and I think we keep doing that because we're so ashamed of ourselves for not figuring out what's causing it. Because we still really do not have a decent idea of what the, the, the reason behind it happening is. We don't have a decent cure for it except for delivery, which then feeds into the other problem that we don't have a decent idea of why it happens and we don't know, you know, what to do to fix it. We've tried a lot of different things, but actually they all just have turned out to be kind of voodoo medicine. They're they're not working. Those two conditions, preterm labor and high blood pressure and pregnancy are really hard to negotiate because yes, I don't want to have a little teeny baby that can't breathe on its own outside of the hospital. And I also don't want to have a mama having a seizure at home. That's not a good place to be. So you do have to watch those. But one of the biggest reasons why women suffer with high blood pressure is that their lifestyles are frantic. 
they don't get enough rest. And I don't mean just sleep. I mean rest in general. An interesting study that Thomas Strong quotes for prenatal care, and he's talking about preterm labor in specific. And this is old, over 10 years ago, but a very interesting study that I've never really forgotten. And that was women in other countries almost always have lower preterm birth rates than we do. They just do. That's We have some of the highest rates of any country. And we don't really know what that's about. But what we do know is that those women come to this country and they maintain their home country's language and customs. The preterm labor stay right around where their home country was. But if they learn our language and assimilate into our customs, meaning they run around and have to do all of these errands and work and just manage life for at least themselves and probably two or three other people, their preterm rates go up like ours do. And so we we need to take a hard look at how we're taking care of childbearing women because I don't think it's doing us a lot of good and it speaks to our maternal morbidity rates too. So high blood pressure absolutely is one of those things that women get caught in the crunch of. But generally, preeclampsia, and I mean blood pressure that is going to cause you to have a seizure, is a more acute incident. The stuff like it happens, the first notice that you get a lot of times of it is mom is having a seizure. So a lot of this stuff that we're calling high blood pressure, preeclampsia, or pregnancy-induced hypertension, a lot of that has a lot of other factors involved with it. Weight, lifestyle, diet, all of that kind of thing. And those are all topics in this particular culture that are so hard to tackle. I mean, as of yet, I don't know what anybody thinks is an appropriate diet. And I would challenge anybody to really say as an authority, this is what you should be eating because we don't really know. So I want to ask something also. Another thing that people will say is, well, people used to die in childbirth. And I think that a lot of people believe that if you're having a home birth, the person who is assisting you, they're not sure about the training or the equipment or, you know, what that looks like. So can you explain to us like what kind of emergency training or just training in general do out of hospital birth attendants, midwives have when, you know, they're at birth centers or home births, et cetera? Yes. Yeah. That's a really good question. And I've, I've had a kind of an evolution of my own about this particular topic because I think when I went to midwifery school, I was pretty young and naive about, oh, of course the midwife should be, you know, a nurse midwife, you know, and I, I, I had my own beliefs about it. I swung to the other side, like kind of like our culture does. I swing from one end to the other and thought, no, if I really believe birth is normal and I do, then why couldn't anybody attend it? Why place those restrictions on anybody as long as they know when to call for help, anybody could attend a birth if it really is normal. And I really do believe that. And right now I'm kind of at a middle place after all these, you know, after thousands of births and watching thousands and more labors and that kind of stuff. I, I'm kind of middle ground. I don't believe that you have to be a nurse midwife with a lot of high risk experience to be a great 
midwife and to pick up on what needs to be looked at closer and what is fine to just ride out. But I do think that whether you are a direct entry midwife, a certified professional midwife, or a certified nurse midwife, you have to detach yourself from what you want and pay attention to what the woman wants. Because sometimes as birth workers of any kind, we get so connected to what we believe and what we want the world to look like that we forget to really take stock of what is happening before us. So I've been in countless birth situations where a midwife out of the hospital has thought that something was normal. And even when it began to have red flags, she's still like, yeah, but this is still normal. Yes, that's true. For now it is, but we need to keep monitoring. And when it screams at us that it is no longer normal, we can't just play that off. We have to pay attention to it. I want, of course, I want birth to be safe and I want moms to do well and their babies to do well. So I can't believe in birth being normal to the exclusion of recognizing when those few times when it's not. And I think that is one of our biggest problems as midwives and birth workers in general is that we believe so strongly in our cause that sometimes it colors our our vision about what is happening before us. Because, you know, like a woman in a birth center a long time ago was pushing and I don't I don't have a problem with women pushing for a long time if they're pushing physiologically, if you're not coaching them and having them hold their breath and that kind of stuff, which isn't normal and never should have gotten to be so accepted. Well, if that's happening, if she's just physiologically pushing and it goes on for hours and hours, then you need to start looking at, okay, what's going on? Is mom in such discomfort that she can't accomplish pushing? Is there some kind of insufficiency of either the power behind the baby or the way the baby is negotiating the pelvis or whatever that is? Do we need to look at that? And would it help mom to to try to assist her, to try to get her care that she needs? And what does mom want? always we have to ask, what does mom want? I think we forget that so much of the time. If she really wants to be in the hospital in her in her heart, but she really wanted to evidence that she was, for whatever reason, I, I know this is not the right word, but brave enough or tough enough, she started this process and now she's finding that, gosh, I really wished I had whatever. I really wished I had an epidural, but I don't really want to give into that. But if that's what's going on and it's prolonging her labor for her, then we should get her what she really truly wants. Because in the end, it it doesn't really matter if she's going to be happy with it. What I really dislike about all this is that we end up with mamas who ended up getting a certain thing and it doesn't matter which thing you pick. And then years later, they go back over their story and they're really upset that they got whatever it was. That's what I want to avoid. And I think the way to do that at this point, again, after all these years, I really think we're not doing a very good job of preparing moms. And I don't mean prenatal care because I'm very skeptical of prenatal care. I know that's kind of heresy in this day and age, but I I just don't see the benefit of running mom around. It's just one more thing for her to do. But what I do see real value in is talking to women from a very early age about what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish in life? What is really important to you? 
and set your sights on that and really focus. And if a if a birth at home, whether you know unmedicated or whatever, I mean, some even home, some home births moms or midwives carry some medications. It depends on where they're at and that kind of stuff. But whatever she wants to really help her to identify those goals and then focus like a laser on getting her goals met. Because inevitably, if her goals are met, no matter how things turn out, she's going to be relatively satisfied with it. And I think we do a really poor job of setting goals. For me professionally and personally, I did a horrible job of setting goals. And I really am trying to work on that because as a young woman, I went to midwifery school and thought, oh, this is the greatest. I'm always going to want to do this. Well, as an almost 60-year-old woman, life has taken its toll and taking 72 hours of call at a time is a pretty daunting task. So I, like every other woman in this country right now, are having to step back and look at what do we want and how do we get what we want? What's the appropriate path to take in order to do that? And so I think that's really applicable in birth for moms to really look at what's my goal. And that then informs you on everything else, whatever your goal is, what kind of midwife do you pick? You know, if you really at all costs, and I mean at all costs, want a certain kind of birth, then you need to pick a provider that is willing to go to at all costs. And a lot of times that is not going to be a nurse midwife because nurse midwives have to adhere to a lot of standards that certified professional midwives do not have to. So they have to be more diligent about what rules they hold to. They have people watching them. Certified professional midwives do absolutely have standards they have to meet, but they're looser than what the the uh, CNM is dealing with. And that came into play for me very vividly during practice. I went out to birth centers that were ran by certified professional midwives and realized that if they were doing the birth, I really couldn't be in the building because if I couldn't inform whatever they were doing, if they weren't going to bend to the way that I would have to practice, if I was in the facility, I would be held responsible for that birth, not them. It would be me. And so I realized really quickly if this birth is starts to get a little dicey and I don't believe in what they're doing, I have to leave. I can't affect the change. I have to get out. And so that's another part of it. And as far as equipment, I really feel like pretty much every midwife as a bare minimum, whether she is a CNM or a CPM, is going to have the knowledge of, I think bare minimum is neonatal resuscitation. I personally stay an instructor and take the course myself every two years and really focus on if nobody were around, what would I do? Because that's the way I want to approach a baby arriving and needing some support is I don't, I mean, I've got another person there. You need two people at every birth because you need somebody to help with mom and you need somebody to take care of baby. And so neonatal resuscitation is huge. I don't know if your listeners have remember this case, but there was a mom who really wanted an unassisted home birth. She didn't want any professionals there. And I support her feeling about that. I know how she got there. The unfortunate thing for her was that she didn't have anybody there for neonatal resuscitation. And things happen in labor that stun babies. And a lot of times that really is all it is, is they're stunned. They just need a little support and then they transition to outside of mom life and they do fine. 
but she didn't have anybody there because she was so afraid of people messing with her and her baby. And she did all this on video. So I've, my heart goes out to this woman every time I think about her because I know why she did what she did. I understand her motivation. But in the end, she had a very bad outcome and there was nobody there to help her. She didn't know what to do and nor did her partner. And so it's a bad place that we've gotten to where we're afraid to have somebody there to the point of we don't have help when we need it. And it's, sometimes it's not professional help. It's just common, you know, oh, get the baby going kind of help. Um, but I think everybody brings oxygen. I used to carry Cytotec around in my purse because I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was so focused on home birth that I'd think if I see a woman bleeding somewhere out, I've got Cytotec. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. Um, but Cytotec has really revolutionized, I think, care in this country. And now first, it revolutionized care in third world countries, say Africa, where you could easily bleed to death on a trip going to a hospital because there's not hospitals everywhere and they had to make long treks to the hospital. Cytotec was something that could keep them from hemorrhaging and all they had to do was take it or somebody had to put it in vaginally and it worked very quickly and was very effective and it's stable. So it's not a, not affected by weather, not affected by really anything. And so it has revolutionized home birth in this country as well, because you can pit sometimes Pitocin isn't always as available. You either have to have an IV, which most people out of the hospital are not going to want to have, or you have to give it in an injection. And that takes time to get all that accomplished. Well, Cytotec is easy. It's a little pill and it either goes in mom's mouth or more effectively goes rectally or vaginally and she's going to quit bleeding pretty much of the time. So, I mean, that's a bare minimum for me at any birth anywhere is that I know where the Cytotec is. Um, because postpartum hemorrhage and hemorrhage in general is, I mean, it's it's a serious problem. It's the, I used to say in births, there are just a few things that I am scared of, not many. But postpartum hemorrhage would definitely be right at the top of the list because I had a mom way back when in Indiana who said she had, you know, it was a particular custom of her. She didn't want blood taken. She didn't want her labs done. And when we'd done the initial lab, she was anemic, you know, very low anemic. Now, I thought the lab was wrong and I wanted to redo the lab, but she didn't want me to. And nor did her family. And I understood, but I had to graphically show them this is a picture of water here and I'm going to start pouring it and you're going to start drinking and we're going to see who gets, you know, what happens here. And it became visually clear to them that we needed to make sure that she had enough blood and was at a right level to accomplish a birth outside the hospital. Now she did great. And that lab was wrong, which is what I figured because you don't have normal healthy women have that scary of hematocrit and hemoglobin. That just doesn't make sense to me when I look at it. But still, the representation that I used made sense to her. If you're pouring out blood at this rate and you're trying to drink stuff through a straw or a cup at this rate, this is not going to work out. So definitely postpartum hemorrhage is something that you want to have a way to treat. You want to have a good system of referral. So mom and the family need to know if mom does have a problem, and she is losing blood quickly, that you have the way to treat that. And then, you know, a baseline instruments, keeping baby warm afterwards, it's pretty important to make sure that you've got warm towels or warm blankets for baby. 
but most important to put baby on the mom because what we know about breasts are that if their baby is on her breast, they instinctively will warm and cool the baby off. It's it's an amazing interplay between mom and baby and breasts that we don't really fully understand. But baby should always go right on mom's chest. And I I don't even, like I, I think of the hospital and think of all the time we waste in cutting and clamping cords and all that kind of stuff. There's no reason to do that right off. That baby should go to its mama. Right. And I think something that I, I feel like when people start learning everything that you've just said, because for example, my dad is a surgeon. He thinks that I am awful and put my child and myself in danger for having a home birth and still stands to that opinion today. And my mother was an ER nurse. And she, when she heard that, she was like, you know, I support you. I believe that you know what you're doing. And she went with me to interview midwives when I was pregnant. And when she learned all those things that you said about, oh, they know how to do neonatal resuscitation. They have, they know how to stitch. So if I, you know, (laughs) if I need stitches, they can do that. They have oxygen. They have Cytotech if I am bleeding. They, They have that type of training. It's not, I think that a lot of people have this idea of basically a lay woman who has no formal training or experience or knowledge of what to happen if something by chance doesn't look normal. Like, for example, my my birth wasn't, I mean, it was pretty typical or normal, I should say. But at the end with pushing, I, I did push for three hours and my son was asynclitic and he was having decelerations. So after a certain point, yeah, they did call the ambulance and I was going to have to go to the hospital if I couldn't get him out. And finally, as soon as the (laughs) EMT guys were coming up and opening my door, my son came out and he did exactly what you said. He was stunned and shocked after that whole (laughs) ordeal. And so they said, Nina, talk to your baby. They were rubbing him, stimulating him, making sure that, you know, his airway was cleared out. So yeah, I definitely can see where some people think that they're going to have absolutely no help or there's not going to be a plan if something at the end doesn't go well. I think a lot of people are afraid of postpartum hemorrhage as well. But midwives, especially if you are interviewing them and you ask them how they handle certain things, they have this this training and this experience behind them. So I felt confident because obviously I've seen birth in all types of settings, but my mother, I was even able to make her realize like, oh, this isn't as wild and crazy (laughs) as, as I thought it was because all she was familiar with was the hospital. That's where she had worked. I mean, she had twins. That's, you know, another reason why some people think, oh, I need to go to the the hospital because I'm carrying multiples or, you know, it's a bad presentation of baby. Maybe they're Frank or Breach or whatever. So yeah, being able to kind of talk about what kind of emergency training they have and understanding those risks of when you're a good candidate. But can you talk to me, what are the risks of giving birth at home and what are the risks of giving birth at a hospital? Very good question. And I and I have to say that as you were talking just then, I did think of, yes, multiples. I'm sure there are people who do not think that that is uh, appropriate at home. However, 
I personally have had twice where we didn't know there were multiples and we had those babies and they all did fine. Anecdotally, I, I get that there might be some higher risk with multiples. Breach is another thing altogether. I, a second time mom or after that breach, I wouldn't have a problem whatsoever. A first time breach mama at home, the only thing that I'll say is that things need to go very smoothly. If they do not go smoothly and pushing isn't accomplished and baby comes pretty within the guidelines of what the safest person in the room would think, then you need to reevaluate because the worst stories I see on the internet are about first-time moms with breaches on board that we left outside pushing for hours and hours and hours. And personally, on a first-time baby, I don't find three hours to be abnormal at all. That is what I would expect because it takes you about an hour just to figure out that, wow, this is not, this is a lot of work and this is uncomfortable and I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. And then the next hour is really nice, hard pushing and your body kind of modulates that. Always when I'm thinking about birth, I always go back to the times that I've seen dogs and kit and cats have their babies and the way they accomplish that and how they take breaks. And it's not a, we don't hold them to a certain amount of time. And like, I wouldn't think anything about three hours at all. And yes, as far as stunned, right now I'm really in the middle of that with breastfeeding because if you think about what happens with birth, babies go to sleep in their nice little bed all tucked in and they wake up at Target on a Saturday afternoon. Right? They have no idea what has happened and they're not sure they like it. So when you think about birth and breastfeeding, we have to look at it from the baby side too and how all of that's, you know, how all of that's going. Now, refresh my memory about your question because I know I just got off track. Yeah, no, no, no. So my question was, what are the risks of giving birth at home and what are the risks of giving birth at a hospital? So I would say the biggest risk of giving birth at home is other people's assessment of it. And that means your provider feeling that things are normal when in fact things may have gotten a little bit outside of normal and them holding to it's normal and friends and family believing that it's not safe. So I think that we're affected a lot more about safe and not safe out of hospital by what other people's assessments of what's going on is. Because if left to our own, I always go back to this. And I think you and I talked about this the first time we ever met. When I look at birth and what I should do or what should be done around birth, I think of two things. One is if she were on a desert island, she found herself there all alone and she was pregnant and getting ready to deliver her baby, would she do it of her own accord? And if she would not, then we need to question why we're doing it. And the second is that nobody does this the same. And so we have to be forgiving about time limits and all that kind of stuff. And so I don't think there's much about home birth that is unsafe because your environment is your environment. So the microbes that are living in your home, you already have an immunity built to. It's only when we shunt you to the hospital where you come into contact with all kinds of bugs that you never would have met up with in the normal course of a day, a month, or maybe a lifetime. So infection-wise, 
that's an issue. You're already used to your organism. If you use basic hand washing, which is the thing that keeps us the safest in any environment, if you're using that, the reason for getting an infection is pretty low. And home birth, you know your way around your home. And so you're a lot less likely to fall. You're less likely to come up against something you're unfamiliar with. It's it's your territory. So the mechanical risks at home are pretty low. You're not going to have a lot of people running in and out of your room thinking that you're somebody else or that you need something that you don't because medical mistakes are a real and present danger. They just are. And we've known it for 15, 20 years, and we haven't been able to make much of a difference. Now, I'm not, I really hate to appear like I'm just hating on the hospital because I work in them and I I get why they exist, but they have some specific risk of their own. And in the hospital, risks are abound. There are people that you don't know that may come into your room and do things that, and they don't know you. So it's easy to get mixed up. There are people with a lot of different ideas about what birth and what breastfeeding is about, and they may let their personal feelings color their care. That's not something that should happen, but it definitely does. And that, that obviously that happens in all the environments, but it's most blatant in the hospital because there are so many different people. And then there's the risk of infection, which I already, you know, there's just no end to the amount of strange organisms you're going to come into contact with coming to the hospital. And they really can't help that. I mean, it's a place where sick people come. And then as far as in the hospital, we sort of have that feeling of control. So we believe that we can solve every problem with just one more intervention. That has not bore out to be true, either anecdotally or in the literature, but we continue. I I always call us in the hospital, we're the great meddlers, because whether you're talking about breastfeeding or birth, we like to meddle. We can't help ourselves. And that, you know, Michelle Adant does a nice job of covering that in one of his talks about, you know, the herd of gorillas. And if you, mom tries to get away from the gorillas because she knows that they're all going to get so frantic with the energy of birth that they may trample her baby. And that's kind of how it is for me watching it in the hospital is we just get so frantic that we forget that this should be a quiet and sedate and calming environment for a woman because she's very busy internally dealing with what the work that she has to do. And and so it's hard to even characterize the two to me because it's night and day. You can make the home the perfect environment for mom to have her baby in the hospital. It's work. You really have to work to make it the ideal environment. I mean, you and I had a birth together of a mutual friend that I felt like in that particular birth, everything that could have gone in opposition of what that mama wanted was working against us. And still, what happened? She came out with a great birth, but it wasn't because we got a lot of help. So I don't, I don't think that there, the only thing that makes the hospital a good place to be is if you believe that C-section is the you know, is the saving grace. But I would submit to just about anybody, and I say this all the time, and I I know I sound a little crazy, but if a baby is in trouble on a monitor and everybody is worried about the decelerations of the baby's heart rate and you run back to a surgical suite and cut the baby out and it comes out pink and screaming, 
the monitor was wrong because you don't look at a strip that is bad and come out with a 9.9 APGAR. It does not happen. So that means that baby was never in trouble and the monitor wasn't giving us good information. And that's another whole topic, but we have known since the inception of those monitors that they were not giving us very good data. So yeah, C-section is the only advantage to being in the hospital. And that's not really an advantage in my mind, because if you have things at your elbow, you are more likely to use them. I, I kind of liken that to in neonatal resuscitation, I always want to bag and a mask at my elbow because I know that if a baby comes out and needs support, I'm going to want that before I'm going to want scissors and a clamp to cut the cord because I don't care a bit about clamping and cutting the cord, but I do care about whether the baby breathes or not. And I care that mom sees what I'm doing because that leads into my other real pet peeve about birth is that we have mystified birth and breastfeeding to the point that women do not know what it's about. They are frightened of it because it is a mystery. It's like it's like a, a tale from a scary movie or something. And that's not the truth. This is our bodies. They were built to do this. They accomplish it very efficiently in spite of everything that comes at them. And we shouldn't be scared to know about it. And I, I remember, you know, I've talked to lots of women and Lots of your listeners may fall into this category where a woman calls me and says, I need to see you because I think I'm pregnant. I'm like, okay, well, and she'll say, I, I just need you to confirm it for me. I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean when you say you think you are and you need confirmation? I'm like, well, I got a positive pregnancy test. Oh, well, then you can be sure you are pregnant or you have been very recently. But we've gotten so unsure of our own power within that we can't be sure that we even know if we are pregnant without somebody sanctioning and saying yes. So when a mama comes in and says, I don't know if I'm in labor or not, it's like, well, there's no hard dividing line. So you don't have to know. And chances are, I don't know either. So we just have to wait and let the tincture of time tell us what is happening. But you don't have to know. And it's not a mystery. Regular contractions and cervical change are what say that, yeah, you're in labor. And we don't have to know that necessarily because there shouldn't be any hard time limits or any marks to get past. We just have made, and I feel this way for sure about breastfeeding, we've made it so high tech and so mysterious that most women just don't have a good grasp on it. So for me, the word of the day is making sure that women, they got this miraculous body. And it's one of those things where you get a really cool kitchen gadget and you don't read the manual. We've got to start reading the manual about our bodies because our bodies are amazing when we let them do what they do. Oh, I love that. So with that, where can someone learn more about their bodies and more information about home birth? And if they're listening to this and like, okay, I want to learn more about this, where, where should they go? So I think the first thing that you do is just familiarize yourself with what body parts you have, because there are definitely women in the world, women in this country, women probably in this city, who do not know what their internal organs consist of. A couple of ovaries, a uterus, some tubes, a vagina. Some women think that a tampon can get lost in their vagina. And it's really not true, but it's scary enough that a lot of women won't use 
I mean, there's other reasons why they're scared of tampons, and rightly so, but one of the risks is that they think it'll get lost and they won't be able to get it. And I mean, I've been there when I was a young woman. I didn't realize how I was put together. I didn't realize that wasn't possible and that, you know, eventually we'd we would find it. But that's because I didn't know my anatomy. So the first thing, there used to be a great uh, birth control pill company that put out this amazing model of the female system, and you probably still can find them. But just to look at the picture of it and understand how that sits in your body and what that means for when you get pregnant. So basic anatomy is really important to know. And then you start graduating to theories of pregnancy. And I think Hensi Gore is one of my favorite authors for a more complex author to read, but it's pretty heavy literature. So pick out books that are off the beaten track. And honestly, just reading voraciously, just reading, watching videos, watching movies, read and watch everything you can get your hands on until you feel like you have a good baseline knowledge and then keep graduating up in complexity until you know as much as just about any midwife walking around. Because that is the way to access the system and have a good experience is to know pretty much what the provider knows. Because how can you have an intelligent, informed conversation with a provider and have shared decision-making, truly shared decision-making, if you don't know most of the information they do. There's no way to. It's impossible. It's like when I have a surgery or when I have a treatment, I go in and watch the procedure being done. I read about how they would do it. I, I read why, because I don't know it by heart and I need to know it in order to ask educated questions and decide what I want. So it's a big job. Having a pregnancy, the least of the work of it is growing the baby and delivering. The most of the work is prep work, trying to figure out what do I want? How do I get it? Why do I want it? Someone will say, I mean, I was a perfect example as a young mother. I went in the hospital way, way, way too early. I was two centimeters. It was ridiculous. But that's what I thought I should do. I went there. They all told me to go home. I didn't do it. So they kept me. They didn't have much choice. But they kept threatening me with pit. We're going to pit you if you don't change. And I'm like, oh my gosh, please don't do that. I begged them. I cried. Don't do that. I didn't even know what that was. I had no idea. I thought they were going to cut my head off. I didn't know it was just something in a dumb IV that I already had. And same thing when I was pregnant with my son, I, I had some bleeding in early pregnancy. And that is very, very common to have bleeding in pregnancy. Rarely is a terrible sign. I mean, it, Intermittent bleeding does happen. And so I bled and I was frantic to get a sonogram. And my OB seemed pretty unconcerned with me and a little put out with me as I begged him to do a sonogram. He's like, okay, you can go in for a sonogram. And I went and basically got no information. It wasn't until years later that I realized, of course, they thought you were silly because no matter what they found on that sonogram, you were only, I don't know, I was maybe 15 weeks. What were they going to do? They can't fix it. I mean, it has to just kind of progress like it's going to progress. And so knowing those kinds of things so that when you access a provider or a system, you kind of know why they're reacting. And then you can ask, okay, well, is there anything that I need to be doing different? Simple questions like, should I quit exercising? Should I quit having sex? Should I do this or that? 
you know, those are just, those are real good questions. But if you have already done your research, you may feel a different way than your provider does. We used to tell women all the time, don't have sex after a certain amount of weeks. Well, we probably did them a real disservice because sex is a normal, healthy activity all the way through pregnancy. There's literature on both the emotional side and the physical side, and they're both important. We don't exist as separate beings, and we shouldn't educate ourselves that way. So I need to know what is the emotional content that comes with being pregnant and having a baby, and what is the physical content. And so as you do research, it's a big job. I think that we've gotten into the place that we are as that what if something happens because we were not willing to do the work on the front end. And so people advised us to do things based on their personal experience and it's not our personal experience. So like your dad, all he knows is being a surgeon where he's in control of the world. He controls things because he's a surgeon, but a woman's body will not be controlled. And we are a force of nature, always have been, always will be. And so you don't hurry us. You don't, if you try, it won't turn out good all the time. And if it does turn out good, it'll be in spite of what you were doing to them. Sherry, thank you so much for sharing all of this information with us. It was really interesting hearing your perception on all of this from your years of experience working and assisting women during labor. Because I think that people who talk to healthcare professionals, especially ones that have worked in the hospital, we think that they'd have very different <laughs> opinions than what you've shared with us today. And I think that it's enlightening to, to hear kind of like what's behind the curtain and what, what you all experience when you're seeing other people in the hospital, how they're working and, and then seeing how things work when you're at home and seeing how other midwives work when you're at birth centers. And so anyway, this was, this was really eye opening. And I hope that our listeners got some great information that they can then do their own research and figure out what they feel is, is best for them. Cause I think that's, that's the whole point of this podcast is learning about new things that you may be don't hear about, wouldn't consider, but just hearing someone else's stories, hearing someone else's experiences of what they've seen, why they think the way they do and all of that. It's just really cool. So to our listeners, please share your own questions about home birth on our Baby Chick Facebook page where we'll be posting today's episode and answering questions in the comments. As always, subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much again, Sherry. It was a pleasure. Well, I was really happy to do it. And, you know, I think I alluded to it, but I am kind of trying to start up a fledgling business of life coaching just for women about birth and breastfeeding to try to help them sort through this because, you know, it is really, truly a big job. So I get it that somebody kind of needs a doula to get through that. And that might not be a doula through birth. It may be a doula just what is getting pregnant and having a baby about. So I love talking to you. I, I, I think it's a great, a great topic to cover and I hope it helps somebody. Yeah, us too. Thank you so much. You're welcome.